This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, before we get to tonight's uh, post-Bucks evisceration podcast with myself and Jeremy Cohen. A quick reminder uh, from our friends at Vivid Seats. You've been hearing me talk about Vivid Seats for a couple months now, um, and I keep telling you the same thing. It's the best place to get tickets for basically whatever you want, sports, concerts. Um, And I keep going back to it because it's the holidays in New York City, and what's a great gift? What's a great place to take your parents, place to take your wife? The theater. And Vivid Seats has tickets to um, any and all of those different events. Um, you just uh, download the app. It's on, you could get it on, you know, Google, on the App Store, literally any any place that you could download apps, you could download the Vivid Seats app. And once you download it, you automatically get enrolled in their rewards program, which has um, a uh, 100% guarantee um, on everything you buy, uh, which is great. And it's really helpful because it helps you feel safe in your purchase. Um, best of all, if this is your first time using Vivid Seats, enter the promo code OVERTIME. It's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, and you get up to $100 off your first purchase, which, you know, Christmas time, presents are expensive, the whole thing, uh, you know the deal. Uh, every little bit counts. So once again, Vivid Seats, download the app, um, get enro- enrolled in the uh, loyalty program. It's um, it's guaranteed, and use promo code OVERTIME. That was uh, that was quite possibly the most pitiful. Not like the most gut wrenching, but just the most pitiful loss I've ever seen. Like you knew, you just knew all along that they weren't going to win, but at least maybe keep it close. Jesus, I, dude. I mean, I, I'm, I'm keeping all this in the podcast, by the way. You're recording. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, this is all. all right. This is all going in. This is all yeah. going in. It's all. all right. There's well, no. We, yeah. I, uh, Oh man, I'm, I'm, I, you know I'm comfortably numb. I, I, I it's I, it's funny you say comfortably numb because I was thinking Pink Floyd right before we hopped on this. Like all in all, it's just another brick in the wall. Like really, it's just what separates this game from. I mean, certainly from the not from the Toronto game, but it just it feels like you oh, either. I, th- have- I think there's a listen that they were up by ten at the end of the first quarter of that game as as. Utter and complete fool's gold as that ten point lead was because the the Raptors were missing um, just a ton of three point shots that they usually make. It there was a um, there was a care factor in that game that I was was there ever a care factor here? Was there? Did they? 
it didn't feel like there was so much tonight. Yeah. Yeah, it it they seem listless. There was no fight, but it also feels like we've seen this. It, it in the sense of the team just kind of gives up or uh they do fight but then there's not enough in the clutch and all falls down. So that's so that's the kind of so there's been you know there's been um I'm just looking at JB just sent out a tweet. Rebuilding doesn't mean losing 60 games every year. It's a slow climb. Bucks won 15, then 41, 33, 42, 44, 60. Jazz 25, 38, 40, 51. Nuggets 30, 33, 40, 46, 54. Raps 22, 23, 34, 48, 49, 56. Knicks going downhill 132, then 31, then 29, then 17. This year, question mark. And is there a question mark on this season all of a sudden? Um, I le, What we've seen from so many Nick teams over the year and years, and I'm quite a bit older than you, um, so I could speak to this maybe a little bit more, um, is exactly what we saw tonight, is letting go of the rope and basically just you know, this season is over, you know, before it ever really began. And that is the one thing, despite the fact that David Fisdale gave us very little indication um, last season that he was a great uh, tactician as a coach. Uh, I, again, others may disagree with this. I didn't feel like we ever really saw that last year. I thought the team, and again, it was a team of young players and retreads, so if you were ever going to get a group of guys to fight hard, that was probably the, the group. This season, I've been encouraged because even in the games where they've gotten their doors blown off, um, like Toronto after the first quarter, like San Antonio early, um you know, even like the the Bulls game that we've talked about, like where do we where do we put the Bulls game? Was that like a bad loss or like a you know because they were tied in the in the fourth quarter? Like there's been fight, like they've been bad, and the and the, the there's been a lot of nitpicking over how bad they were and and why they were that bad and whose fault was it that 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 they were that bad? But I don't think we ever got a night like tonight, um, and that is that is real. And that is concerning. And that takes all of the arguments for David Fisdale and the camaraderie that he has possibly inspired within the locker room to keep fighting and don't give up and don't let go of the rope. Um, And it takes it and it throws it all into the shitter. Um, Now, it's one game. It's one game against the best team in the league. But I don't know. Didn't like I I don't know how to. Can, like take in what we just saw and be like it's only one game. I don't know. I sh- I think I feel like I should do that, but I can't do it. Can you do that? Because I no I, no no I can't. This this was a long time coming. It seemed like there were enough elements before where that the perfect storm presented itself right here. Like again, okay, the Raptors game. Knicks at least had the um, had the advantage of being up in the first quarter, and they were up by a decent amount. Um, and then the last three quarters, they let up, I think, 105 points. Uh, also, for what it's worth, uh, you're going to be hearing the train on this one. So that's, enjoy that's, it. that's the Knicks getting out of 
getting out that's of the bandwagon yeah the bandwagon that was <laughs> not really it's like a pretty empty bandwagon to begin with Taj, but the last two passengers are getting on todd said the bandwagon was empty last night if it was empty last night um my goodness uh <laughs> yeah what was what is it after tonight 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 felt like a it was funny i um so quick aside I'm going on an overnight trip with my school because my um my my school in all of their infinite wisdom decided to make me who has essentially a second career that I do while I'm ostensibly doing my first career um the ninth grade team leader and as such I need to accompany the ninth grade on a overnight trip up to Ramino Ramapo New York mm-hmm. where I will be without cell service of any kind for about 24 hours and I was going to – I so I started writing actually Wednesday morning's newsletter this weekend. And I was kind of, you know, writing like a 10,000-foot view of the season and like where fans were at and where they – you know, what we should have expected and the whole thing. And I just I, – I wrote after – I started writing it on Saturday night and Sunday morning after their – Actually, excuse me, Friday night and uh, and Saturday morning after their loss to the Sixers. And I wrote that it felt like the like a like a change, like a sea change, like the fans were like had basically decided after that game, like, okay, this is bullshit. Enough of this. I'm 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 kind of sick and tired of this already. And then now that noise and that feeling, I feel like has fully mushroomed into wherever we're at right now after this Milwaukee game. And that's what I want to turn to you for because we're, like you wrote today um, a great piece about how – maybe – you know what? Maybe you had like a – did you have a crystal ball? Did you see this coming? I feel like you saw this coming. I mean when I when I talked to you about the piece and for what it's worth, it was like for those of you at home. You were thinking uh, about this for a while, by the way. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, listen, I, I knew this season wasn't going to be a fun one. Um, again, I thought 26 wins, but I thought, okay, that team's in contention for a bottom five record. I didn't think it would be nearly this bad. Um, but this piece, it certainly was something that kind of came about um, not too long ago, but I, I want to say maybe mid to end of probably mid-November, where it was enough damage that had been sustained. And, um, you know, like I, I was the type of person who got sick of hearing about trust the process with Sam Hinkie and the Sixers. Like, we get it, all right. It, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, and it's the sort of thing where I see all these people who are saying like, oh, you know, it's, it's great having RJ, but everyone else can go. And it just kind of got me thinking, well, like, what, what makes up a great team? What is the reason why a lot of these teams are very good? And there's some anomalies, of course, uh, especially last year's Raptors and even this year's Raptors team. Um, but the the general consensus that I got just from the, the at first uh, research I was doing was that having multiple top five picks, uh, at least former top five picks, is absolutely essential to a team's success. So much so that to the point where of the last 24 teams to make the NBA Finals – um, at least the last 12 years, uh, 21 of them all had top five picks playing significant roles. Yeah. And I don't see that as a coincidence. So the way I look at it here is like, John, you're, you're quite possibly the most optimistic Knicks fan that I know. And that's great. And <laughs> I don't know if I should wear that as a badge <laughs> of honor or if that's just going to be like what 
goes on my tombstone as I am in an early grave at the age of 47. Um, continue, well, let's, please. Let's, let's hope for the sake of your child and your wife and, and everyone else that it's a little bit longer. Eh, they're, they're already ready to be done with me. It's fine. Well, this team takes years off of life expectancy, so I get it. But in terms of um, just everything going on, it was like, okay, um, <laughs> what are we going to do here? Because this team, I think we as fans, we often – kind of gas up players a little bit because we really don't have much of a choice. It's it's either live with reality or, or live with pessimism or choose to be optimistic. And I, I think choosing to be optimistic while having a cautious dose of reality is, is perfectly acceptable. Um, but it seems like the only mainstay right now that has star potential is RJ Barrett. And we know how good Kristaps Porzingis was. And it's just simply not a coincidence that the, even with Porzingis struggling right now, that the two, before his ACL injury, especially two of the players the Knicks have drafted over the last, let's say, 25 years that were truly exciting prospects were top five picks. And it's the sort of thing where because we're so optimistic and because we hope for the best, like you could say the Pelicans and the Grizzlies – they just kind of had their season. They did what they needed to do, and they wound up with the first and second pick. And while the Knicks came in third, uh, despite having the worst pick or the, the worst record in the draft, um, but to that I would say it's far better to maximize what's in your control than try to control what's completely out of your control, which is obtaining this ping pong ball. Hey. So the, the thesis is basically if we're trying to be risk averse, which we as Knicks fans should be controlling the most of your destiny as possible is the only thing that you can realistically do, or I'll say the best thing you can realistically do um, from a short term, as we can see with a player like Luca, if you can even get someone that dynamic um, or even a long-term perspective. Well, I want to respond to that in full, um, but two, two quick things. One, you also have to get a little lucky, which, you know, Dallas did when they obviously, you know, they got the fifth pick and they found a willing trade partner for a guy who is going to, um, I I would bet money on it, um, add several, uh, maybe not several, add um, a couple threes to your list of where you wrote down all the numbers of like what the MVPs have been drafted at. Um, and that, you know, I'm not saying the Hawks are definitely like, were idiots for making that trade, um, but it's I, I mean Trey Young, nice player, wonderful player, All Star, maybe makes an All NBA team here or there. Um, Lucas seems like he's going to own the league uh, for a few years, um, along with the guy that we saw tonight, um, Giannis. So yeah, I think it also takes a little bit of of luck. Uh, the second thing, and uh, it's a good time to take a little break. Uh, I just paused my TV. Um, because I want to listen to what David uh, Fisdale, who at um, the moment I believe that I'm recording this, I don't know if it will still be true the moment you're listening to this, is the coach of the New York Knicks. I want to hear what he has to say after tonight. So we are going to take um, a quick break and be back right after this. Um, okay, we, uh, we're back. We've just listened to uh, Knicks head coach David Fisdale. Um, I thought give a... Uh, to his credit, <laughs> whatever credit he still he still do, give a pretty fair and accurate um, 
recap of the team's performance tonight, which is essentially, not essentially, which he said was uh, unlike every other game this season, um, not a game they came out feeling like they could win. And that showed itself in how they um, how they came out, and he owned up to a lack of, uh, he went through several words, uh, spirit, competitiveness, intensity, tenacity um, on defense, and he also noted that um, he really saw it in the first quarter when there were a lot of one-pass or no-pass shots. So it, I'll say this about Fizz. It's interesting because if you actually listen to what he says, he, he owns up to a lot of the things, and he says a lot of the things that fans are saying are wrong with this team, like too many ISOs, not enough passing, too much to Randall without, you know, like the, the picture you tweeted out, by the way, um, oh, my Lord. Um, of Randall with the five guys around him and four men standing around the arc wide open. Um, and it's, <laughs> it, it's, I mean, you can't write that stuff. It's its too much of that. And Fizz, But Fizz verbalizes that um, if you listen to him before and after games. But then it's like, okay, so we're now 21 games into the season. And not only is the stuff still happening, um, maybe it got less over the last 10 games than the first 10, but then tonight was you know, a complete reversion to form, again, against a really good team. Um, are you taking anything away from what, what he just said one way or the other, or is it just, you know, coach speak? Uh, well, he opened up the presser by saying that uh, he thought the team was moving forward and then before, went into what Before I, this game. Right, and then went into what I guess you call some sort yeah. of diatribe about how the team stunk on ice. I, I mean, it's lip service and we don't, we can see it's very clear that this is a poorly coached team. What do they you just, can I just I want to I want to pick on that for a second. Not that I'm saying you're wrong, but I I'm curious in what specific context do you do because I think it could be it could be true in a couple of different contexts. So what what are you specifically referring to? Well, I think he's verbalizing as you said, you know, ISOs and Randall and whatnot, but then and and we talked about how they're Five bucks surrounding Randall and four men up behind the arc, and there, and three of them were decent shooters. Yes. I guess you could say four of them. If if Dotson's shoulders is working, it's four decent shooters. You say it, and then and he says it, and yet what is he doing to correct that mistake? What punishment is being handed, or not even a punishment? What is being reinforced? to at least change what's going on. The fact that he said that the guys came into this game feeling like they had no shot of winning. That's not up to the front office. That's up to the coach. And well, yes, the front office well, is playing. It does. It does. Well, if you don't, if you walk into an arena. I'm going to have a comeback here players, to finish up. If you walk into an arena as a group of players and you don't feel like you have a shot in hell, even if this is what, 16 and three bucks team? If you don't feel like you can even eighteen and three now. They got two wins tonight, actually. Tonight counted for two wins. <laughs> little, little known fact that if you win by uh forty five or more points in the NBA, you get a, a bonus win. Oh, there you go. But if you feel like you can't even compete, then that tells me that there's a, a problem with the coaching, because if the coaching can't coach you up to do the job that you're supposed to do, which yes, it's to win, but I, I get it. I understand if you feel like it's an incredibly daunting task. But this team, I mean, if you're playing Brasdakis in the third quarter, you know you fucked up royally. And <laughs> that's a problem. It's like, like there's there's no fire. It just seemed like like games get dropped because there's no sense of urgency. 
And the, the only time where I really felt like things started to gel was right after Mills and Perry spoke to the to the media. And again, this is because of the fact that and, and you could look it up. I don't have the exact stats for you. I really don't. But I can tell you that from a gut feeling, I'm very confident in saying that when coaches get fired, their teams in the short run react strongly. It's a it's a very jarring feeling when your entire locker room dynamic changes because a coach is gone. And I'm sure that that their presser seeped into the room where a sense of urgency kind of came about. And it started to work a little bit. And then losses piled and games that maybe weren't winnable just were completely gone by either the beginning of the second quarter or not at all or the fact that anyone seemingly could have predicted that they would blow the game to the Sixers or to the Celtics or they would blow the other game to the Sixers or that they would blow the game to the Hornets. Like It's just a laundry list of games. And if we're just talking about tonight, again, if you feel like you're ill-prepared, that comes down to coaching. So I, I don't know. I mean, look, maybe they just came out and felt like they couldn't win because this was um, – you know, it's the best team in the league, and um, maybe and all that. You know that that trust that David Fizdale loves to talk about um, that has been building up theoretically, um, supposedly, hopefully, whatever. Um, it eroded early and often, and those one pass or no pass offensive possessions that he referred to were um, the result of exactly that. Guys being like, "Well, we're not getting the win tonight, so I might as well get my stats." Um, and that is a culture thing. That's a coaching thing. But it's also a matter of who you bring into your building. And this is what I'm going to say. Um, and this is why when you said Randall, Randall's name, in the same breath as Fisdale, um, I had an immediate reaction, and here's why. My, I, I, bef- I don't know if you remember it, and I don't know if we talked about it. Um, but like a week or two, maybe three before free agency, um, I wrote an entire newsletter about how the Knicks I did not think should go after Julius Randle, and the reason why that was, and 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 this is, I I, I want to preface this by saying no, I do not think Julius Randle is at fault for what has happened to the Knicks this season. I don't think he's like the sole, um, you know, reason for for what has what has gone wrong. I don't. I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, if he wasn't on the team and you replaced him with, you know, some like uh, uh, Thad Young, who was the guy that I wanted, um, that they would. They, <laughs> so clearly, all those all those people on the train um, behind you want to hear what I have to say about Julius Randle. Or it's it. just Metro North drowning you out. Either way, but I, I also just quickly, I do I do agree, and we we discussed it on the pod not too long ago, where I felt the same way. Yeah. Really, the first gut reaction was I want no part of Julius Randle yeah, no, on a long-term contract, and then I I just kind of massaged those feelings to the point where it's like tolerance and acceptance and well, because, whatever. Let's. But here's the reason why we both we both massaged those feelings, and we both came out of the um, evening of June 30th being like, okay, we got a guy. The reason we did that is because we believed that this front office did their due diligence on what Julius Randle would be if he was given more responsibility um, to be to shepherd um, basically a young team. 
And the evidence that we had seen through his career was that this was a guy that was um, not a guy that you wanted your young players taking their cues from based on, I'll say, I'll generously say lackadaisical defense based on um, inability to use his passing ability, which which he clearly has, or unwillingness to use his passing ability, which he clearly has. And... The reason I'm I'm spending so much time on Randall when there are a hundred different things that we could be talking about, here's the reason. We wanted to believe that there was this greater plan in place and that they had done their diligence, that this was going to work out and they were going to use him in a specific way and he was the type of person that would could be the centerpiece of what they were trying to do and ch- and change with this team. And I'm starting to feel like Who's the guy that we could get to sign here for the shortest amount of years that averaged the most points last season? And I really hope to hell that it wasn't that simple. And I'm sure it wasn't that simple. It obviously wasn't that simple. But, man, um, (laughs) it sure as shit seems like uh, there was not nearly enough forethought put into making him... The centerpiece, because, and again, this is not to fault Julius Randle and put all the blame on Julius Randle's shoulders, but the things that he does and the things that he does not do, as the highest paid player on the team, as the guy who plays the most minutes on the team, as the guy who the offense goes through more than anyone else on the team, like, inevitably, the rest of your roster is going to take certain cues from that player and from his from his performance. And you could see it tonight, because, I, you know, I, I, I mean... It, it wasn't hard to read between the lines um, in terms of who Fizz was referring to with, you know, one pass or no pass shots um, early on in the game. It was Randall. Um, and to your to the point of your tweet, it didn't. Yeah, sure. The, he ended up drawing a foul and he made both free throws and that was a, a positive possession on paper. But this season was never about the results that were happening on paper as we've talked about on this podcast ad nauseum. It was about setting a tone. And that is not the tone that needed to be set. And the reason I thought of all of this, and I'm going on this diatribe, based on what you said about Fizz, is this is the guy they handed Fizz as the centerpiece of this offense and this team for this season. And look, I mean, I've said it before, he's a CAA guy. We know the connections that Dolan has with CAA. Who the hell knows what was going on behind the scenes in terms of the machinations to have him be the guy that came here. Um, So I'll throw it back to you. How is that on... Not not how is that on Fizz, but are, are, are we really meant to believe that his hands aren't a little bit tied here? Um... And I say that as a noted apologist for this man who clearly is not a gifted tactician. I will readily admit that. Yeah, look, you can point fingers at pretty much every single party and list a, a, a you just list a bunch of different reasons for why they have failed this team. And it would be hard to dispute it. Like, for example, the front office, right? I've been thinking about this the last few days. The front office put together a really bad collection of players. Fisdale has done a terrible job of having those players come together. And it takes time, sure. 
But then the front office also did a terrible job by bringing in Fisdale. And so, uh, it, you know, it all starts at the top and it works its Which way down. They, in fairness, they did to try to land the well. Of course. Which, again, right. how fraught that plan was from day one is a whole separate conversation, but continue. Right. So it's the sort of thing where, sure, is Fizdell maybe facing the brunt of the criticism? Yeah. Um, he's the one who manages 82 games, at least without being fired. That's what he's paid to do. Uh, he's the one who gets well, in front of the media. He'll get paid for all 82 this year. He, he will and still, but he year. may not appear in front of the media for all 82 of the Knicks games this year. No, he um, might not. He's the one who who faces the music when things get tough. It's it's a tough job. I really don't envy what he has to deal with. I don't. And yet at the same time, there seem to me at least to be clear reasons why. You know, again, I, I think that, for example, with the personnel, it's on the front office in terms of poor free throw shooters, right? And the, the best – I think Vork talked about this. The best free throw shooters that the Knicks have – uh, seldom gets to the line. That's not on Fizdale. But at a certain point, if you've got Keith Smart as your go-to shooting coach uh, and there's a problem plaguing all these different players and you can't really fix any of them. I mean, RJ, sure, he's he's made improvements, but I think the graphic said in the first 11 games he shot 45% from the line, which we can agree is completely unacceptable. And then he started shooting around, what, 66 67% from the line? Yep. Which is better, but... Not good. And he's a rookie, sure, but he, there are so many issues that, that go on with this team. And, and, I mean, the fact that we're not seeing more pick and rolls. And, and you could point a lot of fingers, like I'm saying, at, at not just players, but individual things, right? Like um, there's so many what ifs. What if the Knicks don't miss a bunch of th- free throws? What if they turn the ball over far, far less than they have? You know, like uh, like against the Celtics, for example, that's what killed them in the eighth. Um, and that's if, the other thing I want to say. Graham doesn't doesn't hit a shot, and the Knicks walk away with a win that could have easily been a Hornets victory. You can you can find these little pockets of moments everywhere, but at a certain point, it's like okay, well, this guy clearly isn't an X's and O's player. No, you are what you listen. You are what your record says you Coach. are. Yeah. And and there and we again with the conversation around this game with the with the literal conversation that we are having right now have the tenor and tone of of what it has, um, if they were um, even uh, seven and what would they be? So they had played twenty games. So if if they were seven and seventeen, no, sorry, seven. I, I'm bad at math. Um, if they were seven and thirteen heading into tonight, and th- and literally this night transpired exactly as it did, I I say no. I say that it would be very different. And how more how realistic would it be for this team to be sitting here with three more wins right now? To me, um, you know, it's easy to sit, to point to the Hornets game and the Tatum shot and the Kyrie shot. Um, and the games that they've lost on free throws. And you could easily talk yourself into, well, this team could have four or five more wins. But at the same time, they also beat a stellar Mavs team um, on some, um, let's say, makes in the fourth quarter that uh, this, you know, were fortuitous to go down. Um, and, And a Bobby Portis fourth quarter against Chicago that, like, happens once in a lifetime. So that streak goes both ways. The thing that I want to say... um about about Fizdale, though, 
um, which you were which you were kind of getting to as far as like the pick and roll and like the X's and O's stuff. Like clearly, clearly, he is not um, <laughs> he is not the genius um, that maybe uh, Coach Bud would have been here or you know somebody else. And I just wonder when we see the Knicks come out with like their second unit, right? And other times when, again, I'm sorry to pile on this guy, but like when Randall isn't in the game and run and literally try to run pick and roll on almost every play, which we've seen at times this year, and then they go back to the starting lineup and they don't do that. I I understand the coach is the one holding the clipboard and is the one at the end of the day who is responsible for the play calling. But if you're telling me that there isn't possibly more going on in terms of, <laughs> and I hate to always go back to this, but like what promises were made to get certain to get a guy like Randall in here? Like why is he here? Um, what like <laughs> I I can't possibly fathom that a man who was one of the most highly regarded assistants for going on ten years. Um, before he got the Memphis job, um, basically like, like I mean, basically what 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 we are accusing him of is is almost idiocy. It's like, hey, why can't you see the thing that all of us are seeing? Maybe the answer is that he sees it very very clearly, and he's just not able to do anything about it. Um, now, is that because his hands are tied, or is it because he just doesn't have the wherewithal to convince players to make the changes necessary for the betterment of the team? Obviously, those two things are very, 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 very different conversations, but they are conversations that I I, I just wonder about. That's all I'm saying. I just wonder yeah, about them. I don't think it's idiocy. I think that it's just Fisdale happened to be – he's a very well-liked coach, as we know, and he coached at first for at least – when he was with the Heat for what I would consider to be a top five coach in Spolstra. And it's the sort of thing where I almost feel like it's faking it until you make it. And he learned a lot from That's true. his days in Memphis. And like my, the, the, uh, I believe Denver talked about this with Mike Malone, where it's like coaches need to be developed too. They need time as well. But I look at this team. Would you say that the Knicks added more talent this year than they had last year. Yes or no? I, you know who I want to quote right now? Yeah, I, I could give you a hundred guesses and you wouldn't guess, but I kind of want to ask you to guess. I want to. I kind of want to quote Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny when. Are you? The, are you? Of course. I, I mean, I know Marissa Tomei and I know. Well, the I movie. know you know the movie and I know you know Marissa Tomei is, but I uh, to ask you to guess that quote would probably be a little bit much. When the prosecutor has her on the stand. And he asks her about the, oh my God, the correct ignition time on a, I'm not going to remember the car, so I'm not even going to try, on some car. And her response is, it's a bullshit question. And he says, well, is it a, it's a bullshit question because you can't answer it. And she says, it's a, bullsh- it's a bullshit question because no one can answer that question. And that's kind of the response I want to give you because... Talent in a vac, unless you're talking about a top flight talent, a top fifteen player, or or even maybe even more than that, like a top ten player, top seven eight player. Talent in a vacuum in the NBA is meaningless. Like, 
we saw, not to get too far afoul of this conversation, but we saw a Laker team that was on the cover of fucking Sports Illustrated with Dwight Howard and Steve Nash and Colby and Pagasol and the whole thing look like a bunch of idiots because it was just a poorly constructed team. And by the way, that team was coached by a guy who won Coach of the Year before that and after that. Um, the talent didn't fit. And... That's I, I so that's my response to you is like yeah but it it wasn't just talent I mean you know there was there was some chemistry issues of course with with Kobe and and with Dwight yeah and no, then, of course, there's always Nash reasons there's always reasons. I, I get it I get it. I mean look I I but yes, personally sure. when that happened I I'll be honest I didn't think it was going to work out very well that's that's literally just me doesn't really matter because the point that I'm asking the here, short answer is, is did it, they add it, more talent yes they added more talent great so they added more talent so. Does it not concern you that with the addition of more talent, uh, the Knicks have won four of their first 21 games, and from that, as you're saying, three of those four games uh, were revenge games in some way. Two of them were KP revenge game where we know emotions were high. One of them was a TNT game. Uh, The other was just exciting to begin with. And the third one was Bobby Portis going off against his old team. And keep in mind that the Knicks were down by quite a bit to the Bulls yep. uh, after the first quarter. Yeah. So to me, it's the sort of thing like you're looking at one game, one single game where the Knicks were completely in control the entire time. Beautifully well-executed game. It was against the Cavs, and they had just gotten blown out by 21 a week earlier, eight days earlier. And it was at that point where the team was in such chaos that they had to have a presser to say – you know, we're we're basically saving our own ass here. That is concerning to me. I that, look. It, no, finish what you're saying. No, no, I, I was mostly just making disgruntled noises because <laughs> of the, I just I shake my head and there's really there's so much that I think you could be angry at and not not you specifically. I mean, maybe you should be, but that one could be angry at and no, it's just I'm angry. A litany of issues where it's it, like you you almost don't even know where to begin because the whole team is basically on fire. And it's basically like pointing out where the fire started instead of just trying to extinguish it. Uh, let's take one more quick break. Okay, here's the thing that I, I want to just respond to before we before we finish up by um, going back to the piece that you wrote uh, today. I, I look at the NBA essentially as you look at every team and you ask three questions. Um, who's their best player? What kind of shooters do they have? And who is handling the ball on most possessions? And what can that player do? And what can't that player do? And I, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I was kind of like writing a, a 20 game, I don't know, recap of sorts. And I, I, I started thinking about the idea of like, how much we should be surprised by this and how much we should have come to expect this and how anyone who anticipated, and I was one of these people, anyone who anticipated a season that was going to be like the season a lot of people thought had to bank on something happening that was a... um, uh, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a, a, a diversion from the norm, and by that I mean 
if you look at a best player, Julius Randle, was Julius Randle going to be the version of Julius Randle that we've seen, or was he going to be a better version, a more pa- a, a more willing passer? Um, you know, all of the things that we haven't seen. The answer is no. Were either Dennis Smith Jr. or Frank Nilakina going to take steps forward and be a more complete point guard that can shoot, that can distribute, that can get into the lane? Basically, the type of point guard that, oh, I don't know, 25 other teams in this league have? The answer to that question has been no. And then as far as the shooting, which I think that they made an effort to get better, um, did we did we really go into this season thinking that this team was going to go from the worst shooting team the NBA has seen in the last three years, which they were last year, and all of a sudden be, what, top 15, even top 20? Um, and it's become clear that the answer to that question is also no. So given all of those things, um, I just... And again, I'm sorry to always bring it back to Fizz, but it's like, I, I, I look, is there more he could be doing? 100,000% there's more he could be doing. Of course this team should not be 4 and fucking 17. But I, I just, um, you know, I, I I don't know. I'm having I'm having trouble, you know, laying the hammer down purely on him. Um, let's, let's finish up by talking about your article again because it was really good. Um, what... So your point is you want them to basically aggressively go for the worst record for the rest of this year? Yeah, I mean, they're not going to do it. Um, I think well, they may not honestly, need to try. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. Uh, they really may not have to. I think they, if they want to kind of put their stake in the ground as soon as possible and say this has to be the plan, this is the best plan moving forward. But it's almost like they can't, they can't fail into – do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? Where it's like they, yeah, they no, can't just kind of like like oh well we we're failing upwards I guess is the best way to put it they, because you're they saying they sold... need to aggressively go after it. They would, but I don't see them doing that for the reason of that would be admitting failure, and admitting failure is essentially a way that you can get canned by James Dolan. So because what's if the, if what's that, the alternative? If they sold him damaged goods to begin with, and they're falling well below expectations then the last thing that they're probably going to want to do is take ownership and accountability. And that's then left up to Fizdale because he's the only one who's talking. So, so what do you think? So I just want to, I want to really hold you to this thing because under your theory, you think that there is a world in which this team rebounds to the point that James Dolan feels they or James Owen, let me rephrase that, can be convinced that they have had a successful season? I'm sorry, say that again? I, I, I meandered a bit there. You think that there is something that this team, this roster can do in terms of how they can rebound that can lead James Dolan to be convinced that they have had a successful season? No. So that's I'm saying, that's I'm my saying point. That the, yeah, the front office, if they start selling – which I mean, I think they'd be it'd be irresponsible not to. But once they do, that is admitting we really fucked up. And we're gonna try to salvage that, but the bottom line is we we didn't deliver at all. We went backwards. We're back to having another miserable season, probably really worse than the last one. The last one had no expectations. Um 
and it was sort of like, well, KP's out, so we'll just wait on it. And then they traded him, and the season was basically almost over because he didn't start playing anyway. And this one, it's like, okay, well, you add Randall, and purely from a statistical standpoint, on paper, you could you could see the parallels between him and what was a healthy Porzingis. And you add Marcus Morris, who at least is performing well. But you know, by trading Marcus Morris, is another thing is that you that's really hitting hitting the reset button or that's that's waving the white flag and i think that also is going to be when talking with teams it would be like okay well you want marcus morris well it will come at a price because that means that we also have the burden of selling to our owner our boss and the fan base even if the fan base is eventually going to rally behind it um we're punting on the season and this whole thing i've been reading just from from other fans what they've been thinking and I, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but this idea of that there is a uh, there, there's kind of like a gentleman's agreement in place that certain players wouldn't be traded, you know, like there, there'd have to be an agreement. Like Marcus Morris came to New York, did he come in with sort of a, a I, quote unquote no trade clause? I think there's only one guy, and we've talked about I've talked about him this whole podcast. I think Who came in with with sort of a no trade clause? Oh, I think under the I, I think it's Randall. I think yeah, I agree. yeah. And but but I I think it's more that the Knicks trading Randall would be a selling low and b showing that their biggest free agent signing that did not come from their own team is in like a, an extension of some sort since I guess you could say Tyson Chandler. Um, um, that, that, I'm not comparing the two. I'm just using the, the magnitude of of the players uh, in terms of contracts and and being signed. Yeah, I, mean, I guess. That's... That's almost unfair because right. he wasn't They're different ages and he, but he their... you know what he also let's call a spade a spade he Julius Randall wasn't some prize like no he he was he was a nice consolation prize if you want to call it that like you know who Julius Randall was a prize for Julius Prand, Julius Randall was a prize for the team that he was willing to go to and come off the bench for two years or, or even for like one season at um the full mid level. Like he was a prize for that team. He was not a prize to be the centerpiece of an offense. That much is is quite apparent now. Um yeah. so I, 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 okay. Here's two thoughts on this. One I to just because I love playing devil's advocate I'm so good at it. It really is. It's the one. It's the one skill I have. You wear it well. Well, I mean, that's what they teach you to do in law school. Essentially, that's really it. It's three years of teaching you how to be a devil's advocate. Um, if what you said actually came to fruition, so I guess what we would say would be your doomsday scenario, in which they did not trade anyone and they continue to try to win at all costs. Um, one, I have to think. I have to think that would come with several young players playing a prominent role because I just don't see like we've seen enough from the veterans on this team to know that such a level of winning would not happen if they were playing and if again in your doomsday scenario this team held on to everybody and finished the year let's say competitively to the point that they let I don't know I'm going to throw out a number if they went eight and 30 to start the season and they finished like 20 and 22 or 20 and 24. That's like your doomsday scenario, right? My doomsday scenario is, uh, 
basically, yeah, a, a, a more veteran-heavy Chicago Bulls of 2018-19. And, and, I, and I don't see a world where the veterans – first of all, I don't see a world where the veterans are playing – like if they start out the year like whatever, 8 and right. 30 or 9 and th- whatever the record is, there's no world where the veterans are going to continue getting a lot of time on that team regardless of who the coach or who the, the GM is. So if in that scenario, again – they get to that point, and the and the by that point the kids are going to be playing, and they end up winning, um, you know, more games like than they're supposed to over the second half of the season, whether that's fifteen and twenty five or seventeen and twenty three or whatever it is, and even if veterans are helping that effort, like to me, that's not the worst thing in the world because then at that point, what are we doing? We're being the Atlanta Hawks of last year which I know things have not gone great for the Hawks this season, and that there's a lot of reasons for that. John Collins is suspended and just a whole lot of things. But, like, everybody came off of last season being like, see, this is how you rebuild in the NBA. So if that was and, – and, hey, best of all, guess what? You still got a decent shot at, at the pick, which I know – goes against your entire article, which is all about basically give yourself the best mathematical chance. But um, I don't know. I think that, to me, that's that's the devil's advocate position. Um, well, I feel like a lot of those veterans would probably be bought out. At least I, I don't see Morris, for example, sticking around because he's going to make his money. He'd love to compete and contend. And if you're in that position where he does get bought out and you weren't in the position of, and, and you didn't pull the trigger on some sort of trade to get back something. Because this is my biggest thing. If you accumulate as many assets as possible, you know a lot of them won't really pan out, if we're being honest. But if you can parlay them into something bigger, that is what matters to me. Cole Zwicker of the Stepien had a great point. He said that the the gap between a superstar and a star is bigger oh, yes. than that of a star a good and, point. say, a starter. And it's it's fantastic because you could look at Trey Young and say he's a star. He's really an incredible shooter. I think that I think the the sky is the limit for him. He's he's certainly he could very easily be the worst defender in the NBA in a couple of years Maybe. still. But it's the sort of thing of is that star plus the first round pick that you got and whatever you did after that in the subsequent draft. Um, better than getting a superstar in Luka Doncic? I think the answer early on is pretty clear. Um, it's you, You'd want the superstar. And you're going to find superstar talent in the top five predominantly. Um, now, what's interesting to me is that this team that absolutely demolished the Knicks tonight, they don't really have top five players. I mean, Giannis um, is drafted 15. Giannis. Middleton's a second-round yeah, pick. Yeah, yeah. George Hill, I think, went 14th, I want to say. Yeah, Someone no, I mean, I mean, you could look at this team. You could look at the Raptors team from last year, which is obviously right. notable. Um, there it's, are other examples, yeah. Right, and this is still a, a fantastic squad in the sense of they could very easily win the championship. And, yeah, they, they absolutely could, and they would certainly go against the argument. But they're also, to me, in, until we see what they can do you know, further in the playoffs, they are, to me... Um, an outlier, at least based on what history tells us, they are an outlier. And the Raptors were especially an outlier from the fact that they didn't even have a lottery pick on the roster last year. I totally, I totally get it. And, um, 
if we were and I always go back to the same thing and and again I I have no proof that I'm I'm right or that this is even a valid point but um if we were talking about an organization that had a stronger culture that had an established culture of any kind um as opposed to one that is seemingly constantly trying to build a house in quicksand I would be all for the strategy um 100% but you know, and in years past when I have talked about how I I could never root for a loss because I felt like wins mattered to try to establish that culture, I probably sounded a little silly then because there was, what, maybe one, maybe two guys on the roster that, um, that were going to be here long term and, like, that actually mattered. Um, I feel like this season's a little bit different. I feel like they have made... You know, and I know they may not be around to see any fruition of it, but um, there has been an investment in a young core here to the, you know, RJ and Mitch and Knox and and Frank and and Dennis Smith Jr. Like, um, I'll I'll say this. If it turns out that it's a ton of losses, you are okay with it because it does increase your chances – um, at a, a generational player, and a generational player could change a culture by himself. Um, that said, one, I don't think that there's any such generational players in this draft, and I have not studied this draft. I'm just going by literally like anecdotal stuff that I read and hear on Twitter. Um, and number two, um, if the alternative happened, and like I started this part of the conversation by saying, this young core was mostly responsible for like a second half, uh, I'll call it with air quotes, surge that again was maybe 15 and 25 or 16 and 24 or 17 and 23. Like I can't sit, I'm, I wouldn't sit here and be disappointed. Um, I would, I would embrace it and I would think it, it, it is worth the whatever 4%. Five percent, six percent drop off in the chances of landing, um, and the guarantee of a top of a top five pick. So that's where I'll that's where I'll end up. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to one of your points, um, it reminded me of uh, a proverb, which I had to look up to get the exact. I love that we're ending this on a proverb. <laughs> Please continue. You said about how the front office may not live to see it. And the first thing I thought of was a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. I think think it's very applicable here. Fuck that shit. I spent a whole goddamn Saturday (laughs) afternoon two weeks ago raking up fucking leaves all around my goddamn house. And I have 18 bags on the side of it in my driveway that I keep forgetting to bring out on the recycle day, which is the only damn day they pick up those bags. So you could take your tree and you could sh- – no, I'm kidding. Um, All right, it, fine. I'll leave. It's – um, yeah, take your tree. <laughs> make like a tree and leave. Do you get that reference? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you on the pod and ask you what movie it's from. Uh, I'll just trust that you, you do, in fact, get the reference. Um, uh, no, that's a good point. It's a good point. And JB, uh, look at this. I'm quoting JB on multiple tweets on the podcast. Um, just sent out something a little while ago, which basically said, um, if you're if you're an enterprising executive and you're looking for a challenge that's going to put you in 
um, a Theo Epstein-esque, uh, is my words, not his, uh, you know, circle of fame, so to speak. Um, you know, when you come here and you rescue this operation, well, that's, that's a pretty big one. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big championship belt to carry around. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, and, and JB touched upon this. We, it's been a constant theme and it will continue to be as such. The Knicks will have, um, some really great young assets. They will have a surplus of first round picks. They will have cap space. Again, what they use it on is uh, they have to be very creative because last year, this past summer, they, the front office clearly wasn't. There are so many worse places to be. Like, for example, I would much rather, uh, you know, maybe we can just ignore ownership and other uh, hungry, angry fan bases, whatever it is, just purely from, from a salary cap and talent point of view. I would much rather come to the Knicks than I would a team like the Detroit Pistons or the Charlotte Hornets um, or the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, like, like the Knicks are, are far from the worst option. But with that said, the pressure's on. There's a lot more – there's a heavier spotlight on you. Um, the lights are certainly brighter here for a reason. It's not easy because if it were, the Knicks wouldn't be in the position that they're in right now. But again, it's – I have to believe that – if Porzingis stays, even we know, I know how how poorly he's responding, and, and I'm not saying he would be the reason things would be better, but it's the sort of thing where you, you can look at a scenario where, if health had played a role and if um, if egos were set aside in some way, the team is building. And when you take a, a huge step back and you trade the player who you were hoping is going to be integral to your team for 10, 12 years, hopefully longer, but based on seven foot three players and greater it's really around that when you take that step back you're going to just open yourself up to seasons like this because in reality you could say rj and kp that's a great tandem to have and you got frank who's supporting both of them and and yeah this is now a team that that maybe has just with the threat of what kp offers you maybe not long term you know super long term and, and his contract is is onerous to say the least but you're at least looking at a team well, that that has that that eighth no, he's seed a piece. feel. He's right. a, he's a piece, and 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 look, someone tweeted out um, the worst isolation points per possession numbers in the league uh, earlier today, and I apologize, I forget who it was. Um, Randall is, I think, uh, sixth or seventh from the bottom. Bobby Portis is third from the bottom, and KP is second from the bottom, um, and they're. There exists the possibility that KP might just be like a like taller, like better shooting version of um, and better defending because he can block shots. Although his, you know, I've I always said my being my biggest concern about him was was his vertical um, uh, movement um, on on defense. Um, but we're really getting off topic now. Like, look, we don't know what he's going to be. That's not the point. The point is when you trade him for cap space, and again, I've I've said this in unwavering terms, that's what the trade was. It was a trade for cap space and other stuff. Um, like, you need to have a backup plan. And it goes back to how we started this conversation, which is like – you can't be all in on plan A and then scramble for plan B. And I wrote my whole thing on this over the summer, something that got a lot of love and a lot of people read and a lot of people paid attention to. Um, 
about how I didn't think the summer was a fa- failure, and I wrote, you know, I wrote three thousand words on the subject, and I put a lot of thought in it, into it, and I'm starting to think and wonder whether or not I put more thought into that than the people who made the decisions <laughs> as as to how to build this team. And I, and again, I say that somewhat facetiously because I'm sure that's not the case. Um, and and more to the points that I was making earlier, I think there's more going on behind the scenes that than meets the eye. Um, but yeah, it, it, look, um, it's not working. Um, we'll see how, I mean, look, and the funny thing is we're having these death knell conversations and it's, it's been 21 games. Um, and again, like we said earlier, they could easily be whatever, a seven or eight win team, but they're, they're not. And this is what it is. And tonight really sucked. And, um, it was so bad that it got us to basically have an hour long, the sky is falling conversation, which is, um, I didn't think it was going to happen this year. I'm not going to lie. Didn't think uh, it was going mean, to happen. For me, it was more of a, a when as opposed to if. But I'll tell you, I, I thought we were going to have this conversation a month or so from now, maybe even a month and a half from now, where you would finally start to waver a little bit. And I'm not saying you've you've come to my side. I I know you haven't. I know you still have belief. No, in I, I think I've been. I'm and, pretty and, clear on what on where. Yeah. I, I do think though tonight was definitely um, a nail in. Uh, and I'll steal what I'm going to write for tomorrow's newsletter. I think tonight was a nail in the coffin of we can be competitive for a playoff spot, not get a playoff spot. That nail in the coffin was 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 hammered on June 30th. But be be competitive for to be in it, right? To be in the conversation. I think that's over. I think that ended tonight. I really do. Um, so yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, we've talked for a very, very long time <laughs> about a game that the team just got absolutely um, just just really butthurt. Um, and uh, this was yeoman's work by us, uh, Jeremy. Um, yeah. Thank you for joining me for this session. My pleasure. Um, and... Uh, yeah, if you if or to anybody out there, I'll, I'll, I'll do your... your um, your promotion work for you. If you haven't seen Jeremy's piece, um, it is on nixfilmschool.com. Go there and check it out. Or better yet, start up um, signing up for the Nix Film School uh, newsletter. It is absolutely free, and it's just it's an email every weekday, and it gets you caught up, and it has great content, and uh, yeah, so you should do that. And of course, thank you for listening to this podcast because I appreciate it, and we appreciate it, and. Um, it's really uh, it's great to be in this together with everybody um, and not have to do this by, <laughs> by ourselves because that, that would be real tragedy. Um, all right, everybody, uh, I'll be back with you with another episode um, for Thursday morning with a very special guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it, it is a special one. Uh, until then, have a great rest of your week.